0: You know that scene where the blonde lady is running outside and she's singing about how the hills are alive, but while she's singing, she is full on running through this meadow because I've seen that gif or that meme or whatever, but she has her arms like outstretched and she's just running in circles and she's outside and she seems so happy and so free. (sighs) I want that. It's like the complete opposite of everything 2020 has been so far, you know? Uh, you don't know that? Hey there, and welcome back to You Don't Know That, the podcast. Today's topic is the sound of music, which... Maybe you guessed from the intro, but from that vague description, it's entirely possible you did not, and I don't blame you. Fun fact about this week's topic is that it was actually specifically requested by the only listener that I thought I would have, which is my mom. And she's going to be in town in a couple of days. For those of you that are worried about social distancing, don't worry, she's been stuck at home and she's driving the entire way up by herself, and I have also been super clean, and we're pretty much just going to have a slumber party, so I'm actually super excited, because I haven't had any visitors for a while, just because of everything going down, so it gave me an excuse to actually, you know, fully sweep my floors and (laughs) clean my baseboards, and one of the things that we're going to do is watch this movie, because when she asked If I had seen this classic, she was super disappointed in me when I said that I hadn't. But also, like, she would have been the one to show me, right? So it's kind of on both of us. As for what I actually know about this film, it's really not a lot. I mean, I know that that gif or meme of that blonde lady running through the hills as she sings the hills are alive is from this movie obviously as you got from the intro and i think one of the other songs in this is the like 16 going on 17 song that was in that like vin diesel rom-com from the early 2000s right the pacifier or the babysitter or something like that. I think he, like, babysits a kid who's in The Sound of Music and has to practice that song, right? So, that's from this movie, I think. Um, hmm. I really can't think of anything else, which is sad, I know. But, I mean, it's a musical. It's in color. It's not in black and white. Even though it's an older musical, I think. Like, not a 80s movie, not a 90s movie. Like, I think it's from earlier than that, right? Cast members, I've got nothing. Famous lines, I've got nothing. But I mean, I have the two songs. So I'm going to count that as a win for myself. And yeah, that's about it. So... I'm going to go finish cleaning my house and welcome my mom, and we're going to have our slumber party, and we're going to watch it, and I'll be right back. Ashley's out researching things, and she'll be back in one, two, three, four. Okay. First off, I had a great time with my mom, in case anybody was wondering and curious, but back to the movie. Jesus Christ, the blonde lady is Julie fucking Andrews. It's Mary Poppins. It's the queen of Genovia herself. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, past Ashley? It's Julie Andrews, and you called her a blonde lady. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, it's Julie Andrews, dude. It's Julie fucking Andrews. Also, interestingly, playing a nanny again, which I thought was interesting, and I looked it up, and... Mary Poppins had come out the year before, which was her, like, general premiere to the world, so she was actually concerned because she went from a nanny role immediately into another nanny role, and so she was super worried that she was going to be typecast. Which is crazy, because Julie Andrews, you can do anything you set your mind to. You're amazing. Anyway... Additionally, it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that came out in 1965. I knew I had heard those names before, so Rodgers and Hammerstein were also responsible for the likes of Oklahoma, Cinderella, and The King and I. And interestingly, The Sound of Music was the last project they did together, and Uh, Edelweiss, one of the songs in the musical that I had never heard before, which is very sweet and probably my favorite hot take there, was the last song that they wrote together. There were also way more iconic songs than I thought there was. I didn't realize that favorite things, like these are a few of my favorite things, was from this musical. (laughs) I mean, I knew the song and knew it even more after Ariana Grande sampled it recently. But I had no idea it was from this musical. And then there was also how do you solve a problem like Maria, a doe, a deer, a female deer, and so long, farewell. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize all these were from here. And then, of course, yes, there was 16 going on 17 and the hills are alive, which I was shook that that meme of Julie Andrews running across the hill is like the first scene of the movie and not the like climactic part of the movie. They hit you right out the gate with that. I was like, oh shit, I had no idea. Also had no idea that Nazis were in this movie. Didn't realize it took place during one of the world wars. Um, That's a topic for another history episode later because I'm also not sure which world war we're talking about in this movie, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I'll get there eventually. But the biggest thing that I did not know that was most interesting to me about this movie is that it's based on a real family. Like, did you all know that? Because I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a real woman named Maria who wrote an autobiography called The Story of the Trap Family that was published in 1949, the first section of which inspired The Sound of Music. So, for this episode, rather than talk about the the behind-the-scenes filming, because there wasn't really any crazy special effects here, I'm going to talk about the actual Von Trapp family. So, here we go. So, a good chunk of the story of the real Von Trapp family can be found in the records of the National Archives, because when the Von Trapps fled the Nazi regime in Austria, they traveled to America. And... The Archives, which can be found at archives.gov, has a really great article on the Von Trapp family that was written by Joan Guerin, so shout out to you, Joan, because it was super helpful. So yeah, let's talk about the Von Trapp family. Let's start with the dad, Georg, and that's how I'm going to pronounce it through this whole thing. I'm sure there are different versions, but Georg is what I'm going with, so deal with it if it's not right, all right? Anyway, Georg Von Trapp was born in 1880. And he really did become a national hero as a captain in the Austrian Navy during World War I, which makes me guess that the plot is World War II in Sound Amusing, probably. Anyway, he married this woman named Agathe Whitehead in 1912, and they had seven children together. And then after World War I, Austria lost all of its seaports for some reason. I really got to do a history episode on it, but anyway, Georg retired from the Navy, and then his wife died in 1922 of scarlet fever. The family was understandably devastated by her death and didn't want to keep on living in a place where they had been so happy, so Georg sold his property in this town that was called Pola, which is apparently in today's Croatia, and he bought an estate in Salzburg, Austria, which is where the movie takes place. As for Maria, she was born in Vienna, Austria in 1905. She was orphaned as a young child and was raised as an atheist and a socialist by an abusive relative. When she attended the State Teachers College of Progressive Education in Vienna, she accidentally apparently attended a Palm Sunday service because she thought it was a concert of Bach music and a priest was speaking there. In her autobiography, she described it as And I'm quoting her here. Now, I had heard from my uncle that all of these Bible stories were inventions and old legends, and that there wasn't a word of truth in them. But the way this man talked just swept me off my feet. I was completely overwhelmed. So soon after, Maria graduated from college, and as a result of this accidental religious awakening, she entered the Benedictine Abbey of Nonberg in Salzburg. So she really was training to be a nun. And she really did struggle with the unaccustomed rules and discipline because she really hadn't grown up that way. But in her own words, she thought that those two years were really necessary for her to get her, quote, twisted character and overgrown self-will cut down to size. However, her health actually suffered from not being able to get the exercise and fresh air from which she was used to, which you can see kind of in her character in Sound of Music when she's running around in the hills in the very beginning. So, when Georg approached the Abbey looking for a teacher to take care of his sick daughter, Maria was chosen, partly because of her training and skills teacher, but also because of concern for her health. But, contrary to the movie, they were not looking for someone to take care of all seven children, he was just looking for someone to help him with his sick daughter. She was supposed to remain with the von Trapps for ten months, and at the end of which, she was going to formally enter the convent as a nun. So, once she got there, Maria tutored young Maria, Maria and Maria, <laughs> which, by the way, they changed the names of the children, probably to make that plot point less confusing. But older Maria developed a caring and loving relationship with all of the Von Trapp children. She enjoyed singing with them and getting them involved in outdoor activities, just like in the movie. However, the family was actually musically inclined way before Maria arrived. And Georg was not this cold, distant father that he was portrayed as in the movie. He actually was gentle, warm-hearted, and genuinely enjoyed partaking in the musical activities with his family. This change of character was made probably to make the story better for Maria's impact on the Von Trapp family, but in actuality, it's the plot point that the Von Trapp family has the greatest issue with. Anyway. During this time where Maria was helping out the children, Georg really did fall in love with her, and he asked her to stay with him and become a second mother to the children. However, it wasn't as romantic as the movie put it together, but not on Georg's end, on Maria's end. Maria did not marry Georg because she was in love with him, and she straight up said it in her autobiography. She said he fell in love with the children at first sight and not their father, and that when he asked her to marry him, She, and I quote here, was really and truly not in love. I liked him, but didn't love him. However, I loved the children. So, in a way, I really married the children. And by and by, I learned to love him more than I had ever loved before or after. So, I thought that was an interesting plot point that was kind of glossed over in the movie to be a little bit more traditional. But, like the movie had, Maria did have problems with the original proposal just because she wasn't sure if she should abandon her religious calling. And just like in the movie, the nuns were like, no, 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 you you go on. You, you go stay with that family. <laughs> uh, maybe this career isn't for you. And so she did. Maria and Georg married in 1927, which was actually 11 years before the family left Austria, not right before the Nazi takeover of Austria. So that was also different than the movie. They had three children together as well. So overall, there were actually 10, not seven, von Trapp family children. And like I mentioned, the names and ages and sometimes the gender of the children were switched. Anyway, in the early 1930s, their bank failed, and the family actually lost most of their wealth, and to be fair, it was a worldwide depression, so a lot of people were going through the same thing. Maria tightened belts all around by dismissing most of the staff and taking in people into the house to stay with them, like a Airbnb, kind of. It was around this time that the Von Trapp family actually started to think about making the family hobby of singing into a profession because they needed the money, which again is very different than the movie. Georg, though, really was reluctant for the family to perform in public, but he accepted it eventually as God's will that they sing for others. It almost hurt him to have his family on stage, according to his daughter. Not from a snobbish view, but more from a protective one. However, just like in The Sound of Music, the family really did win first place in the Salzburg Music Festival in 1936, and they became successful, singing Renaissance and Baroque music, madrigals and folk songs all across Europe. So in addition to issues with how their dad's personality was portrayed, the family is genuinely annoyed at the movie for only showing them as singing lightweight music, because they actually sung a lot more diverse tunes which I think is, like, a funny snag point, but, like, hey, I get it. Like, it's your career. You want it to be portrayed accurately. Anyway, that Salzburg music festival was two years before the Nazis annexed Austria, and the von Traps realized that they were on thin ice with a regime that they despised. Georg really did refuse to fly the Nazi flag on their house, and he really did decline a naval command, and turns out he also declined a request to sing at Hitler's birthday party. The von Trapps were becoming aware of the Nazis' anti-religious propaganda and policies, and they started figuring that those around them could be acting as spies for the Nazis, and worried about brainwashing of children against their parents. They debated staying in Austria and taking advantage of the enticements the Nazis were offering, namely, like, increased fame for their singing group, but they decided eventually that they just would not compromise their values, and so they left. However, they did not secretly escape through the Salzburg Music Festival and then hide in the convent and then drive off while the Nazis were trying to put engines back in their car. They didn't secretly escape over the Alps to freedom in Switzerland, only with their suitcases and musical instruments in hand. They told people that they were going to America to sing, and they just left by train, pretending that nothing was wrong. The Vontraps also went to Italy, not to Switzerland. So Georg was born in this town called Zadar, which is apparently in Croatia now, but at the time was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And Zadar became part of Italy in 1920, and therefore Georg was an Italian citizen. And on top of that, therefore his wife and his children were Italian citizens as well. The family had a contract with an American booking agent when they left Austria, so they contacted the agent from Italy and requested to get to America. So, by September of that year, they were on a ship to New York, and they began a concert tour in Pennsylvania. When their six-month visitor visas expired, they had to go back to Scandinavia for a tour for a little bit, but they came back to New York by October of 1939, and by the early 1940s, the family had settled in Vermont, where they bought a farm. They actually ran a music camp on their property um, when they weren't on tour, which is adorable. And Georg actually passed away in 1947, and he was buried in the family cemetery on the property. The Trap Family Lodge opened to guests in the 1950s, and the Trap Family Lodge is actually still operating today. And I looked it up on Google, and they have four and a half stars, and it looks really pretty. So if you're super into The Sound of Music, you can stay there. Take a trip to Vermont, I guess. (laughs) So there you go. I'm not sponsored, by the way. I don't, but it just, it looks nice. And you know, so there's that. Fame and success really did continue for a little bit for the Trap Family Singers, but they stopped touring in 1955. Maria continued to run the Trap Family Lodge for many years afterwards before she passed away in 1987 and was buried alongside Georg. Overall, the Von Trapps never saw much of the huge profits that The Sound of Music made. Maria sold the film rights from her autobiography to German producers originally, and inadvertently signed her rights away in the process. So there were two movies, uh, The Von Trapp Family in 1956, and a sequel, The Von Trapp Family in America in 1958, which were successful, and they were German films. The American rights were eventually bought from the German producers, And the family, again, had very little say into either the play or the movie version of The Sound of Music. At least as a courtesy, the producers of the play listened to some of Maria's concerns, but unfortunately, no major contributions were accepted. They pretty much kept it as it was. Maria, luckily, was overall fairly grateful that there wasn't any extreme revision of the story that she wrote in her autobiography, and that she herself was represented fairly accurately, although she did say that Julie Andrews was, quote, too gentle. Apparently, she was a much fiercer woman than they gave her credit for. But again, she really was not pleased with the portrayal of her husband. It is one of the major criticisms that the Von Trapp family has. As for the Von Trapp children, some were irritated as being represented as only singing lightweight music, like I said before, some were annoyed at the simplification of the story, and again, about their dad's personality. As one of the sons said in a New York Times interview from the 90s, It's not what my family was about. We were about good taste, culture, and all of these wonderful upper-class standards that people make fun of in movies like The Titanic. Which, by the way, it's so weird to hear like Avon Trapp talk about the Titanic for some reason. But anyway, we were about environmental sensitivity and artistic sensitivity. The sound of music simplifies everything. I think perhaps reality is at the same time less glamorous, but more interesting than the myth. And I really liked that quote. Not about the first class things that get made fun of in the Titanic. But the end part, that reality is at the same time less glamorous, but more interesting than the myth. Because I feel like that quote applies to probably every adaption of people's real stories that we see in movies. It glosses over the bad stuff and romanticizes the good stuff. Which is great for entertainment. But is that the best way to tell somebody's story? I mean, the songs were catchy though, am I right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't really have an answer there, but that's kind of the thought that my research left me with for this one. Much to my mom's joy, I did enjoy it. I don't know if I'll watch it again, but at least I've seen it. And I did enjoy it. So, (laughs) there you go, mom. This one's for you. For everyone else, I'll see you next time.